Or maybe I'm just like worried about the backlash that will come from people reading about a Chinese spy balloon and then seeing people who they think look like Chinese people and just the way that's going to play out in this country, since historically that has never played out well. Um, so, yeah, I would say that U.S. relations with China have me concerned because that is always going, not necessarily that every Asian American person here is from China, but that's kind of where the American, <laughs> the white American mind goes. When you look at an Asian American person, you immediately think China, and then you think China is bad, and then, you know, that just kind of snowballs. Welcome to Proudly Asian, a podcast series that tells bold and proud stories of Asians by Asians. I'm Isabel Wong, a financial journalist who wants to uncover the many Asian stories around us that are waiting to be told. There's never just one way to look at Asians. This podcast will take you through a deep dive into the life stories, struggles and triumphs of young Asians around the world. On today's episode, we have Sarah Mises Tan, an Asian American audio journalist based in Sacramento, California. Sarah is the first ever race and equity reporter at NPR member station Capital Public, who covers stories about race, racism, and racial inequity. She talks to us about what it means to be Asian American and the feeling of being caught between two worlds. Welcome back to Proudly Asian. Now, May is Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. So we would like to use this episode to talk about all things AAPI, the current state of play, the wins and where the community want to go in the future. And most importantly, what does it mean to be Asian American? Which is a question that could have a million answers. But one such person who might be able to give us some insights on this is our guest for this episode. We have Sarah, who is the race and equity reporter of Capital Public Radio and the host of a new podcast, Mid-Pacific. Welcome to Proudly Asian, Sarah. Thanks for joining us from Sacramento, California. Of course. So good to be here, Isabel. Thank you. Yeah, great to have you. Now, before we get started with the whole conversation, I just want to quickly know you launched a new podcast called Mid-Pacific at the end of March. Congratulations, by the way. I just want you to tell us a little bit more about the podcast. How's that going? Are you proud of the work that you've done so far? <laughs> yeah, definitely. We are really excited. You know, we've gotten, um, I guess, four out of six of the episodes have aired already. So we're about a little over halfway through. Um, and yes, Mid-Pacific is the very first Asian-American-focused podcast that our station, Capital Public Radio, has put out. So it's a really exciting time to be at Capital Public Radio. I'm really honored to be able to spearhead that kind of flagship podcast. Um, and yeah, I do think that it's kind of long overdue for a lot of our listeners. And I've certainly heard some feedback from people saying, yes, like, we've been waiting to hear something like this for so long. And 
there's definitely an appetite for it. So yeah. long overdue, I think. <laughs> yeah, I've taken a listen of the show as well. And I absolutely love all the episodes. And even the first episode um, where you sort of brought in Bruce Lee and how he sort of interpreted his Asian experience as well. And it was just like an emotional moment for me. I was like, oh, I was like, wow, I didn't know you could see it that way. But for a lot of people who grew up outside Asia or like Asian diasporas, the experience is really quite like there's no way for us to put one label to it. It's really just like water, right? So throughout this episode, I can't wait to ask you a little bit more about the creative process and how you um, got Mid-Pacific to begin. But before we talk all about that, I think our listeners would like to know a little bit more about you. So why don't we ask you the same set of questions that we ask every single guest of ours on Proudly Asian, which is tell us about your background, Sarah. Who are you? What are you and where did you grow up? <laughs> sure. Yeah. So I guess who am I? I um, I guess I'm an audio journalist based in California. Um, I have been a journalist for about a little over a decade now um, and mostly been in public radio, which I don't know if you're I know public radio is such an American thing, but, you know, if your listeners know what American public radio is, that's been mostly, it's got a particular sort of sound that sometimes people kind of make fun of. Um, But it's like, that's mostly been my bread and butter. Um, So that's where I've mostly been for most of my career. Um, I'm originally from New York, actually, from the East Coast, um, and my parents are from two different Asian countries, which in California, I know is not necessarily particularly rare. I've certainly found a lot more acceptance of that background here in California where people don't really seem to bat an eye when I tell them this, but growing up on the East Coast, this was always a big hurdle for people to get over. They were like, wait, so you're not they like almost would stop listening when I was like, well, my dad is Chinese. Yeah. Um, and that was just like, yes, my dad is Chinese from Singapore and my mom is from Korea. And they're actually kind of from like two somewhat different immigration patterns as well. My grandfather was a Singaporean diplomat for the United Nations. And so he brought his family over and he spoke English very well. Um, it was like very much, you know, with Singapore, he's raised speaking, as he would say, the Queen's. English. So he did not have like any sort of broken accent. And my dad's family is very well versed in like speaking English. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I say that it's kind of one immigration pattern. They are kind of like almost British in the way that they operate. And my dad is he grew, grew up mostly in New York. So he's very American. Um, and then my mom's side of the family is very different, came over after the Korean War. And so they're more of that, I think, what is more a traditionally immigrant experience on the East Coast of the United States. Um, and so I kind of come from two different immigrant <laughs> stories there, two different places that I'm from. Um, so it is a complex question, but that's the short answer. <laughs> wow. I mean, what's a cool family story you know like you get two types of experiences growing up but I'm just wondering since your parents came from two completely different immigrant stories I'm wondering like growing up if there were any moments where you often find yourself in between cultures like in terms of even the tiny details for example like what does breakfast look like for you growing up (laughs) such a great question yes yeah I feel like I was I always inhabit this kind of funny in the middle space because especially on the east coast where a lot of folks are from a very specific immigration pattern I always felt like I was like I kind of get what you're where you're coming from but like Not really. At the same time, honestly, my dad handled breakfast the way that labor was divided was my dad did breakfast, my mom did dinner. (laughs) And so it very much will fall along the patterns 
of uh, American versus Korean in the sense we had cornflakes for breakfast. That's really cool. <laughs> and I know in one of the episodes on Mid Pacific, you also mentioned a little bit about how you grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood compared to some Asian Americans um, who might have grown up in neighborhoods where there's a heavier presence of Asians. So I just want to know how would your experience growing up in that neighborhood differ from maybe your friends who come from a more Asian neighborhood? Oh, yeah. I've definitely thought about this a lot. Um, You know, I think that there's a certain maybe acceptance of flattening that comes with growing up in a predominantly white neighborhood. I, like, (laughs) learned to basically give a very short answer to that question, where are you from, and just say, my dad's Chinese, my mom's Korean, and just leave it at that and let people kind of just do their thing. Um, And so, you know, I think... In some ways, you don't really embrace a lot of the, like, interesting facts about, like, being from kind of a unique immigration pattern. I also think that maybe you kind of become afraid to embrace being too Asian. That's a negative thing, (laughs) I think, um, that some Asian Americans encounter, especially if you're in a predominantly white area. You kind of want to avoid being too Asian. So you try to meld into whiteness. You try to, like, bring the, like, normal-looking lunch to school And you don't want to wear, like, any clothes that, you know, like, I even for a very long time would avoid wearing the color red because people, I think, would stereotype Asian people wearing red in a certain way, avoid wearing, like, a high neck situation, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. to avoid it being, like, I guess looking like a cheap hour or something like that. Um, Just honestly, it's very sad, I think, in the ways that we kind of flatten our Asian-ness and try to, like, make ourselves palatable and comfortable to understand for white people. I think, unfortunately, that's a lot of what happens. And that's what I see happening with other uh, Asian folks who have grown up in predominantly white areas. Um, And, you know, I guess I see that in contrast to being in California. There are many Asian Americans that I meet here who have grown up in extremely diverse, heavily Asian American neighborhoods where, you know, people come from long generations of Asian Americans who have been in this country for decades and centuries. Um, And I think they just have a very different way of embracing what it means to be Asian American. Mm. They're like, you know, for the most part, they're not afraid to embrace it. I think they kind of have found like their own like cultural niche, if that makes sense, that I maybe am never going to be an insider with. Um, And I'm thinking especially in places like the San Gabriel Valley around Los Angeles and um, San Jose in the Bay Area up here in Northern California. Um, And I just think that there's like an internal comfort with their own identity, which maybe I'm putting on them, but certainly from the outside, I envy that sort of comfort. Yeah, I completely agree because I do know some people from California and I was just so amazed when they were telling me about their experiences growing up where like they could go to a birthday party. I was like, oh, so do you bring your own food? For example, like I have Filipino friends who grew up there and then they were, did you bring your own pancit to someone's birthday party? And then they're like, yeah, I mean, like we all have Mexican food and Filipino food and other Asian food. I was like, wow, this is completely different because like yourself, I also came from sort of like a similar experience where I wanted to hide the fact that I was Asian, which is silly because there's no way for us to hide that. But in a way, it's just like we would think that if we could be less Asian or a little bit more white, like our friends, or if we get comments like, oh, I forgot you're Asian, then you'll be like, oh, 
I'm cool. I'm cool. <laughs> right. So I see that like in your podcast, Mid Pacific, you mentioned for Asian Americans, even being American was conditional, especially during the pandemic. And this is such a statement that also resonates with a lot of Asian diasporas who are based outside America, such as in Europe, in the UK and regions outside Asia. And because there's so little awareness about their existence and their experience. So they're essentially invisible in that part of the world. They've been around, but no one really knows that they exist and what it's like to be them. And essentially, you could meet an Asian family who's been in Germany for generations, but every time they go out, they will be treated as like tourists and they would get questions like, oh, how long do you plan on staying here? It's like, well, what do you mean? My family has been here for generations, right? So it's quite interesting to hear how like with Mid-Pacific, despite it's a very AAPI, Asian American story, some of the stories that your guests are telling telling you can also be applied to Asians who grew up elsewhere. But now going back to America, I do want to get a sense of the current state of play in the sense of the AAPI development and also Asian hate, because we know that the anti-Asian sentiment resurfaced and was heightened during the pandemic. The numbers of anti-Asian hate crimes reached record highs in those years. And now three years on, we know a lot of efforts, support and awareness have been around to promote that representation of AAPI. But as an Asian American reporting on racial inequality issues yourself, do you think the situation has improved or is it worse off? Are there any areas that still need more attention? Oh, yeah, this is a great question. You know, I, in some ways, I think that it has improved in that I think that there's a I hesitate to say a lot. I think that there is more visibility for even the concept of an Asian American person in this country now. I definitely think that prior to the pandemic, like you had mentioned, I think a lot of Asian Americans were an invisible entity in this country. A lot of us maybe tried to just meld ourselves into whatever situation that we were in. Um, I had someone mention recently to me that a lot of people did not make the distinction between being Asian versus Asian American. And I thought that was a really good point. Um, and yeah, you know, I think Asian Americans or Asian culture just doesn't really put it in our nature to be speaking up a whole lot and like making ourselves the center of conversation. And so, you know, I think we just had gotten overlooked for a very long time. Um, but yes, I think that the pandemic and then the, I guess I would say that the start of the conversation really began with the Atlanta spa shootings in Georgia that happened in April of 2021. And I think that that really sparked like uh, maybe <laughs> a push for more visibility for hate crimes that happen against Asian Americans and the fact that Asian American is an identity in this country and that many people associate with it. So I think that is a positive thing. I love it, <laughs> given that Asian American is a term that I do identify with and use. Um, but yes, on the other hand, reading the news today, I also just feel worried about U.S. relations with China and the way that that is typically historically played out in this country. Um, you know, I see I'm thinking about coverage just about, uh, you know, the Chinese spy balloon being a recent um, recent news peg, you know, that really got me worried, just the way it was covered. And honestly, I'm not sure how you cover it differently, but or maybe I'm just like worried about the backlash that will come from people reading about a Chinese spy balloon and then seeing people who they think look 
like Chinese people and just the way that's going to play out in this country, since historically that has never played out well. Um, so, yeah, I would say that U.S. relations with China have me concerned because that is always going, not necessarily that every Asian American person here is from China, but that's kind of where the American, <laughs> the white American mind goes. When you look at an Asian American person, you immediately think China, and then you think China is bad, and then, you know, that just kind of snowballs. So, yes. Sometimes it's not even like as far as geopolitics, but I guess like probably what fueled the Asian hate during the pandemic was people think coronavirus comes from China. Anyone who looks Chinese or anyone who looks Asian would be like, oh, you're bringing virus to us. Or for example, there could be some controversial issues. I mean, this one is quite recent, but I'm sure you might have heard of the Dalai Lama incident, right? Yeah. We're not talking about the incident per se, but then because of that, and we also know a lot of Tibetans who are living in other countries, they started getting a bit of hate. They started getting called names just because they are Tibetan or they practice the same religion. So these are all really valid worries. And unfortunately, it really is still going on in America and in elsewhere as well. Now, moving on, Sarah, I also want to understand a little bit more about your career as an audio journalist, you know, how you really got started covering the current stories that you're covering. So let's start from the beginning. I'm just wondering how you began your journalism career. Have you always been interested in journalism or was it an accident for you? Yes, I think for probably all of my adult life, I have been interested in being a journalist. I ran the school paper at my college or undergrad university, um, and then pretty much just transitioned from there into a master's program in journalism and then right into a my first journalism job. And it's pretty much just been back to back. So I have truly never been anything else except for a journalist. <laughs> um, I'm probably not good at doing anything else at this point. Um, but yeah, I do. I kind of feel like it's an interesting space to have been in since journalism, at least in America, is not something that people typically think of Asian Americans as being in as a career. So, And have you always wanted to be in the broadcast space or like in the print space? Did you have a preference? Yeah, yeah. I think I always wanted to be in the broadcast space. National Public Radio is such an entity in America, and I grew up listening to it as we were driving in our car on car trips um, to visit relatives and things like that. So I always kind of wanted to be one of the voices that was heard on there. Um, and at the time, I think there was a lot less push for diversity in voices. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the voices that I heard were kind of those classic NPR voices like uh, Bob Siegel or Nina Totenberg. Um, and these are white people. And I also, you know, I, I always was like, I want to be one of them. And also, like, can I be one of them? So it's kind of a, a challenge for myself. <laughs> now you are one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I'm getting there. Yes. <laughs> and like you mentioned, the journalism space in America, there's really rarely any diversity for yourself growing up or even starting out as a journalist. So I'm just wondering if you ever had any challenges as a journalist just because of your identity. Oh, definitely. Yes. Um, and I guess this is actually uh, something I'll mention in our rapid bias section. But yeah, I think that because there are definitely more Asian Americans in this broadcasting space now, even as of the past like five years, I would say. Um, but starting out, I was often asked and I still am asked, am I the intern? I think a lot of people don't necessarily believe that I'm the person who's going to be 
uh, presenting their stories on air. I think there's just this like funny disconnect when people meet me. They're like, oh, are you the one who's doing the story or are you just going to like gather the tape and like hand it off to someone higher up or something like that? So that's something I kind of, I think I, maybe I will always encounter until I start looking older. <laughs> but yeah. It's so funny how like people would always use that age thing against us. It's like, oh, you look too young to be the producer or the host of this show. But then it's also like a really nice moment when you actually respond and claim your power back saying like, actually, I am the producer. I am the host. So I think essentially it just becomes fun. I'm not sure about you, but then like I sometimes find it quite fun when you do that grand review. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yeah. You know, and I I mean like... uh... Uh, when thinking about like challenges that you face as a journalist, I wouldn't want to like sugarcoat it for Asian Americans who do want to get into this space. Um, you know, I think that one of the biggest difficulties that I hear from other Asian American colleagues and myself is just that white editors often don't see you as filling the role that you could fill. Um, so like when you're applying for jobs and things like that, I think that a lot of times there is an unconscious bias for like what that type of reporter looks like. So a, a healthcare reporter mm. or a politics reporter, like there is a strong image within this industry of what a politics reporter looks like. And very often an Asian American person is not what that looks like. An African American person is not what that looks like. And so I think that's a problem within the industry. Honestly, it's probably not just public radio. This may be Mm -hmm. all news outlets everywhere. But it is something that I see as a big hurdle for Asian Americans who are coming up who do want to, say, report on things that are not race. I love reporting on race, but... I also understand that it can be a bit of a pigeonhole sometimes. I also remember seeing recent studies about the different news beats that are taken up by Asian Americans, which is really interesting because when I look at it as, oh, wow, it really rings a bell because I used to be in the business journalism space as well. And I used to see a lot more white male. Like you said, there's a very set image about what a business journalist should look like, right? But now I know that you are actually also the first race and equity reporter at Cap Radio. Kudos to you and the station for that. Um, how did this role come about? Uh, I pitched it, actually, for myself. It was something that came about. Um, I was originally a general assignment reporter. And then uh, when the George Floyd demonstration started happening, I kind of felt like our newsroom wasn't allocating resources into the types of stories that people were looking to hear. Um, And I just felt like, you know, we were kind of covering the protests from like, just like a very like, I don't know how to say it, I guess, but you know, just like a rote kind of way. Like Mm. we had like a politics reporter out there covering from a politics angle, or we had a government reporter out there and we had like, just people covering it as general assignment reporters, but no one was really, it's such a deeply racial event that happened in this country. And I felt like no one was really digging into the real roots of like why this happened, like how this was impacting people of color. Um, You know, at the time our newsroom was predominantly white and I actually did hear (laughs) from a source that I was talking to, somebody who complained about having our white reporters reporting on black trauma, which is, you know, this is a difficult concept to get into and I don't have the answers. And I think obviously, you know, there's a lot of complexity there. But I do think that at the core, maybe this person was just frustrated by the fact that we 
didn't do race-focused coverage before these events happened. We didn't really have someone who was an expert on covering race. Mm-hmm. And I just thought <laughs> we needed that. And I'm someone who's always thought about race. Um, why not me? So I pitched it. So I'm wondering, since you started working as a race and equity reporter, how has that been going for you? I mean, you know, Mid-Pacific came about actually from the creation of this role and from me reporting on the George Floyd demonstrations, um, just because I started to feel like a lot of the coverage of George Floyd was black and white. But like within my own circles, I was hearing from Asian Americans. They were like confused. They were like, where do we land in this? Are we black? Are we white? We're not really either. Uh, But we have a lot of feelings about what happened. And of course, as some folks might remember, one of the police officers who was involved in George Floyd's death was Asian and optics of that is something that can be very triggering for a lot of Asian Americans in this country, just given a lot of history. Um, So, you know, I think (laughs) in that sense, that was kind of the root for saying, okay, there is a lot more that we can cover just on the Asian American community. I would like to do that. That was the root for Mid-Pacific for me. We did end up having uh, kind of like a a primer episode on like how Asian Americans were feeling Mm -hmm. uh, in the Black Lives Matter movement. And that I think was the real seed for me for what created this whole podcast. Yeah. And I also see the role um, or even just having you in the newsroom is so important because as a person who has worked in the newsroom, I've personally heard conversations going on between different news editors. They would talk about maybe, let's say a very specific Asian cuisine, and then they would talk among themselves, oh, is this the next new discovery in terms of Asian cuisine or like, is this the next boba or something? (laughs) But as an Asian person who is listening into the conversation, I would just be like... Actually, this has been around for quite some time. But just imagine a newsroom without someone like you or without an Asian person or without a person coming from a different culture, right? Then they would never get that context or they would never be able to have someone telling them that, oh, this is actually what it means to a certain culture. So this is incredibly courageous of you for pitching this role. And this role is much, much needed in basically just any newsroom. But now you also told us a little bit about how Mid-Pacific sort of found its way to what it really is right now, right? So obviously now you double as a podcast host, other than as a radio journalist. And Mid-Pacific, for those who don't know yet, and you should check it out, um, it's essentially a show that explores the Asian American experience and identity. But I'm wondering, through the process of doing this show, have you actually learned something new as Asian American yourself? <laughs> yes, I feel like I've learned a lot of things, or I've at least just enjoyed hearing from so many different types of Asian Americans or so many different Asian American people who are coming from so many different backgrounds. You know, I'm trying to pull out one particular Mm. nugget. Um, You know, I mean, I just enjoyed, I'm thinking about our Chinatown episode, which is episode two, where I was able to speak with someone who is uh, maybe third or fourth generation Chinese American, who's family kind of actually feels similar to mine and that like there is a mixture of immigration patterns in their background um but you know had been in the central valley of california for the gold rush which is you know we're talking a long time ago now um i don't know i think for me that was really cool to just connect with someone who as a result of all this they have felt asian american for a very long time their grandparents have felt asian american Mm. i just thought that was interesting that somebody in say 1890 could be feeling like 
in the middle. <laughs> they could be feeling like, oh, I'm not really from this country, but I'm also not really accepted in America. It just feels like such a modern conundrum to me. And so it was actually really cool to like trace that thread all the way back and see that, oh, like Asian Americans, maybe this is sad. Asian Americans have been feeling this way for a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> and they were Asian American before the concept or social constructs of Asian American even existed, right? And again, like you mentioned, it's actually pretty sad because they've been feeling this way for the longest time. But what took it so long for the API community or the Asian American experience to gain some prominence and awareness, right? But so glad that this podcast is actually making its way to a wider group of listeners. And actually, I'm quite curious about how you and your executive producer, Sally, fought for this to happen. And Sally is currently on the line with us as well. So welcome to Proudly Asian, Sally. Thanks, Isabel. Happy to be here. Yes, I'm so curious because you are one of the biggest advocates for this podcast, Mid-Pacific, to happen. And you worked quite closely with Sarah to create this whole baby together. So it only makes sense for us to hear from the both of you in the sense of how Mid-Pacific really began. So why don't you tell us about how it all started? Yeah, well, you definitely got a good uh, kind of lead up from Sarah about her work as a journalist on the Cap Radio newsroom. And yeah, I'm uh, the head of the podcast department at Cap Radio. Sarah was pitching this to us. Sarah kind of touched on this a bit, but, you know, our newsroom uh, has evolved in terms of the backgrounds of, of the people that work, you know, as reporters in the newsroom. But I would say our leadership is predominantly white still, both in the editorial space and then the overall organizational space. So um, Sarah came and pitched uh, this idea for a podcast exploring Asian American identity to us. Oh my goodness! Uh, you know, Sarah, how long have you been? <laughs> I think it's literally been since August of 2020. I think after wow. the George Floyd demonstrations, I've been yeah, pushing this for <laughs> for a long time. And I think, well, you know, at the height of the pandemic, especially, and the you know the wake of the George Floyd events. Newsrooms got even more hyper news reactive, right? And here is Sarah, and she's talked a bit about this, you know, seeing and reporting on George Floyd and that, you know, it was very much the news on the ground, right? Sarah, go to this protest or reporter over here. You go cover exactly what's happening on the ground, missing any of the deeper context of race relations in America. Because for Americans, these are really tough issues to get into, right? So here's Sarah, of course, being this journalist who's like, oh, th those tough, deeper conversations that are really hard to pull off in a way that doesn't get anyone in trouble and really feels like it encompasses a lot of the thinking. Um, yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> so um, for me... Um, being a podcast producer, you know, we have our broadcast station. We're doing the broadcast news. That's what we've been doing for decades. What I know as a podcast producer, a lot of podcast listeners want to go deeper. One of the number one needs they have is, of course, to be informed, to connect, to get some deeper knowledge, but to feel less alone. This comes up over and over again when we survey podcast listeners. And it's a need that Sarah felt deeply personally. And as a reporter, there was this context that could serve her and listeners. And so she pushed and pushed for this. And I think, A, by just being determined and not giving up and, you know, ringing that bell over and over again, 
um, of why the why for this. I mean, for for a newsroom that's feeling like they have to be on the pulse, she she made her case. Um, so yeah, wow, we made it happen. And for me, again, it was like the deeper context that people are looking for. It's years in the making. Definitely. I feel like, I mean, I think that the real like catalyst that got like our upper management to turn around and say, oh, we, this might be something to discuss probably would have been the Georgia spa shootings. I think in April of 2021, where they kind of realized they were like, oh, okay, this is like much more. Right. Again, another news event, right? Even though in the podcast space, I want it to be deeper, but for those newsroom leaders, you know, it's got to be on the pulse, right? Totally. (laughs) So unfortunately, it was, you know, a bunch of tragedies happening. And Sarah gets into this with a lot of her guests, too, is unfortunately, violence has tended to define what it means to be Asian American in a lot of ways. But Sarah wanted to counter that and get into a deeper discussion of all the cool things that are happening here that really do define this broad, diverse culture um, and celebrate that. That's really, truly amazing. And just so grateful that Sally, you are one of the biggest advocates for this because it's again to show people that you don't need to be Asian to support an Asian American show, right? And this is one of the strongest examples. Like what could really happen when you have the support and the allyship from those who might not even be Asian? Because there could be people who could think you are only qualified to support an Asian project if you are Asian, if you understand everything about Asian. But it's not not really just that, but Sarah, how did you feel the moment when you finally got the green light? Do you still remember that day or that moment? Uh, I think it's actually been, and Sally can attest to this, I feel like it's been a gradual conversation that we've kind of been uh, pushing for a long time. So mostly I've just been persistent and annoying. So thank (laughs) you to everyone who's just heard me pinch this over and over and push it over and over again. Um, Yeah, I don't think there was a particular moment. I just, Mm. um, I mean, we kind of got a green light maybe in January of 2022. And I just started reporting things on my own. And I think we kind of like threw together a pilot episode um, that was, that's actually not super dissimilar to the way episode one has turned out. But basically, I just like threw together a pilot episode. We put it before one of our head editors and that's probably how things finally got going. It's just uh, sheer willpower saying this is going to happen. Here you go. It's happening already. It's too late now. You can't say no. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us um, to talk about this part of the conversation, Sally. It's truly amazing to hear from the masterminds behind Mid-Pacific. Now it's time for us to move on to the next segment, which is called Rapid Fires. In this segment, I'll be asking my guests biased questions that they've got asked at some point in life. And so, Sarah, are you ready? (laughs) I think so. Ready as I'll ever be. Okay, let's get started. First question. Where are you really from? From New York. (laughs) Say no more. (laughs) (laughs) And the next question is... Are you that other Asian colleague? We don't all look the same. (laughs) How could we be mixed up when I'm not even the same height and don't even have the same hairstyle as that other person? Please look closer next time. And the next one, go back to China. I honestly have considered going to China, but I don't think that they would accept me either. Oh. (laughs) 
in some ways I'm with this person. Yeah, sometimes uh, these comments do make me want to go back to China or wherever. <laughs> if there was a place for people like me where we could truly be from, I would definitely go back there at this point. And the next question. Didn't your ancestor eat bugs? <laughs> this one feels out of left field or right field. <laughs> this one just feels totally random, but was actually asked this. I think I was just stunned at the time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess my answer to them would have been maybe all of our ancestors ate bugs if we go far back enough. <laughs> Truly, it's that's so true. It's not just mine. And in fact, I think I remember seeing more Caucasian adventurers eating bugs on TV shows these days. <laughs> so, one hundred percent. I think we gotta ask. Didn't you maybe eat bugs recently? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And um, finally, are you the intern? No, not the intern. We'll be the person who is presenting your story. So please be nice. Yep, that's right. And thank you so much for going this round of rapid bias, Sarah. <laughs> of course, thank you for having me. Just to conclude the episode, I just want to quickly ask you: Do you have any grand plan for Mid Pacific? What's next for the podcast? Oh, great question! You know, I feel like there is so much that we were not able to get to in the first episode or the first season, which is just six episodes. There were a huge, <laughs> huge lift for us to make, but at the same time, we probably only really scraped the surface. And I think a lot of people are going to listen to Mid Pacific and say, "Oh, like." Why don't you get into this or why don't you get into that? And I, my answer to that is absolutely, we would love to. I think that there is more than enough material for a season two. Mm. I would love for there to be a season two. So fingers crossed. And, and for our listeners, if you have not taken a listen at Mid Pacific, go search for this podcast available on pretty much every podcast platform. So do look up Mid Pacific. And Sarah, finally, one last question for you. What does it mean to be proudly Asian American? Oh, to me, I think it is embracing. This is going to maybe sound repetitive for people who listen to Mid Pacific, <laughs> but I really do think it's embracing being of two worlds, being in the middle, being in between, and being proud of that. Being proud of saying, you know, I like eating hamburgers, but I also like eating dim sum. Like these are like one doesn't negate the other. I can be both of these things. I can be all of these things. I can be American and I can be Asian. Uh, you know, I can be from kind of from like an Asian background or brought up from an Asian background, but also like fully understand what it means to be American. All in the same person. <laughs> Being Asian and American, they're not kind of in competition with each other. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that's what it means to be proudly Asian American. That's very well said. Like for a lot of us with in-between identities, we might not fit in anywhere, but that also makes us a person who can adapt and fit in just anywhere. So that was a great conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us, Sarah. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. That's it for this episode of Proudly Asian. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at proudly.asian for more content. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and YouTube. Leave us a five-star review on wherever you get your podcasts. 
Thanks for tuning in and signing off for now. I'm Isabel Wong. Just, 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 just.